Good morning and welcome to John's Cooking Show. I'm uh, glad you've chosen to join me. We're going to dispel a few myths, uh, the expiration dates, what do they mean, freshness dates, those types of things, how long will things really last. For instance, oil does have an expiration and you can tell whether or not it's good by its smell. If you're like me and you're not quite sure, you could put a little on your fingertip. If it's tacky, it's probably churned. If it's still smooth and oily, popcorn in this form will last a very long time, as will sriracha sauce. I mean, there's nothing that'll go wrong with this stuff. Now, in keeping with things this week, if you have something in your hand and there's three of a like item, then you want to juggle. These Nutrigame bars will practically last forever, certainly longer than I can juggle. However, these oranges will not. You may notice that there's a white orange that's actually a racquetball and um, so you wouldn't want to eat that but that won't spoil these will you want to be careful tang i can't stand the stuff uh, morton salt uh, both of these will last forever beans are kind of interesting because in their present form in their can form they will last a long long time much longer than the than the date on the bottom of the can and again you can juggle beans if you want like that whoa that a little mess to clean up. Of course, everyone wonders about honey. Honey lasts forever. And how would we in any way, shape, or form be responsible if we didn't address fresh products like eggs? Because, you know, obviously eggs will last a very, very long time, okay? These eggs have probably been in the carton for 30 days, and they may not have been packed for 30 days before that. So you have an egg that's been going a long time, and everyone's like wondering, are they hard-boiled? No, they're not. So... At any rate, I was on the Camino a couple of years ago, and I met this kid. He was from uh, Denmark, and, and he had these fierce, fierce blue eyes, this blonde hair on top, and the sides were closely shaven. He had been on the trail away from home for two years. He actually... Uh, didn't feel like he could go home. Home wasn't a safe place for him. He was 20 years old. He was traveling on an expired passport, and we were talking in this small village called Grenon. And I was staying at a hostel. He was staying at the same hostel, although rarely did he sleep indoors. I asked him what he did for money. How did he manage to survive for two years? And he said he was into recycling. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, recycling, like he would go to a town, pick up aluminum cans, pick up plastic bottles, sell them at a recycling station. And so I asked him, how, how did he go about this recycling? And he's like, well, actually, more recently, it's been a little more challenging because, because a lot of restaurants are securing their garbage. And I was like, wait a second, I thought you said you were into recycling. And he's like, yeah, I am. I recycle food. And so what this guy does is he goes behind a restaurant and he tells me, he's like, it's amazing the good stuff that people don't eat that's in the garbage. And I don't know that I could do that. I, it's just really a bit of a challenge. I mean, I can barely stand churned beans, which smell if you've left them in the fridge too long, like a cat that's gone through a dog. And it's just a mess, 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 mess. What would you do dumpster diving for your supper? At any rate, we'll get back to expiration dates in just a short order. 607 is where we're at today. Isaiah 47, verse 1. Actually, we're going to start in verse 6 because it kind of gives us a sense of, where are we here again? I, and God is speaking, I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. The your hand is the Babylonian hand. And you showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. The perspective of Israel is that someone else is on the hot seat. And what chapter 47 is dealing with is the undoing of Babylon. And how we got here is that Babylon 
was selected by God to do something, well, to solve a problem that had been existing in the nation of Israel. And here, Babylon, going beyond simply solving the problem, is on the hot seat. And Israel's perspective in this case is someone else is on the hot seat. It's kind of like if you have siblings and your older sister, who always got away with everything, is finally receiving her comeuppance. Here we have, in chapter 47, an arrogant nation being taken down. Starting with verse 1 then. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Pull it off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his holy name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. Babylon is gone again, and we have this personification, this picture that shows how the rich, the arrogant nation, the seemingly affluent, is now sitting on a pile of ashes. The boisterousness of the party is long silenced. The imagery is one of going from power to slavery, going from the best position in society to seemingly the lowest. And then verse 3, the the imagery is particularly violent, demonstrating what the next powerful army that comes through does to women. And consistent with warfare in the ancient Near Eastern world, the death toll is devastating. We gain a sense in this text and other texts like them of how God interacts with his creation. God permitted, allowed, commissioned, You can use a bunch of different ways to describe it. Babylon to do something unique because Israel had stepped out of line and they had rejected God. And God was willing to fight for his people but realized he needed to get their attention. And so he commissions, he selects, he permits Babylon to do something very, very unique. And then Babylon takes it a step too far. And that's what verse 6 tells us. And because they have gone beyond their original mandate... To punish the people of God, exceeding the scope of their mission, becoming great in their own eyes, they now will be punished by the next marauding army, the Persians. And in case you're a student of history, you know that the Persians will be punished by the next marauding army, and the Greeks will be punished by the next marauding army, and the Romans will be punished by the next marauding army, etc., etc., etc. And it seems that there is this interplay, right? in which God moves and intersects with people and nations, giving them the opportunity to reflect, giving them the opportunity to follow, but ultimately allowing, permitting nations and leaders to chart their own paths with the reality that often that path will lead them to face the reality of their choices. You want to hang on to that thought, but it is part of the reason why we caution against getting too enamored with a national identity over an identity that is discovered in God. To put a sharper point on it, 
an identity in Jesus Christ. The text goes on, a more specific articulation of what the nation of Babylon has done. Verse 7, You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, you want to keep that phrase in mind, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. There is a lot to be found here. In addition to the heavy burden that they laid on the people of God that was beyond the mandate that God had for them, about not thinking about their own kingdom and when it would end, about their arrogance, about their wickedness, the chief thing in which they're found wanting is in verse 8 and verse 10. And it's the phrase that we translate, I am. Now to us, that might not seem like much. But in the ancient Near Eastern world, this is a designation that is strictly for God, strictly for Yahweh. And for someone to say, I am, they've gone down the path of of no longer honoring God, but thinking that they are God. And we might ask the question, how long does God put up with arrogance? There's a complete lack of modesty here, a complete lack of modesty in who they think they are. And we might ask the question, how long does God put up with wickedness? And we have this picture, this devastating loss of children, of being a widow in the ancient Near Eastern world, which would have been a horrible fate. And God's saying, because of who you are, for all the tricks that you think you possess, for the party that was your life, yeah, we need to clean up this mess. There's an expiration date. Now, now to be sure, It's a challenging text, right? And we might think, wait a second, I'm not interested in being in this category at all. And to be sure, few of us are. But the text does give us this sense, right, of the things that God values and the things that God finds challenging. And so what? In our lives, needs to be cleaned up. What in our lives really has reached an expiration date? It no longer belongs in the fridge. It should be thrown out. It should be cleaned up. What in our lives doesn't fit, doesn't smell right, doesn't taste right? What about our lives betrays maybe a hint of arrogance? What in our business practices has this sense of, well, no one really saw that, so what's the harm? And if we allow the text to speak to us, not with the severity with which God judged Babylon, but with the severity with which God looks at our lives and says, come on, 
That doesn't look good on you. Are we willing? Are we willing to come face to face with the things in our life that need to change? God says, for all the tricks that you think you possess, you can't charm your way out of this one. A couple of years ago, the actress Diane Kruger was interviewed by Stephen Colbert. And basically, Diane Kruger, for those of you that don't know, a famous actress, uh, she, speaks, uh, she speaks German, she's a German, she speaks French, and she speaks um, English, and, and, and she has done movies in all three languages, so she's fluent. At any rate, Stephen Colbert asked her, well, well have you ever used your various accents to achieve uh, specific results? And Diane said, yes. And so there was an example that she provided of one time she was pulled over in the United States of America um, for running a red light. And and uh, a seemingly innocuous thing that in the state of, of uh, the United States is illegal. A cop pulled her over and she rolled down the window and said in the most sweet voice, Bonsoir. And then in this uh, French accent was like, Oh, monsieur, I am so sorry. I did not realize that I was, I'm doing a terrible French accent. But with her charm, she got out of the ticket, right? And she was allowed to proceed without having to pay a fine. This is one of those things that you can't charm your way out of, God says. In fact, as you look at verses 11 through 15, there's a view that God's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. And then a, a sarcastic sort of take of, but try to remain who you are and see how that works for you. Listen to it. But evil shall come upon you, again, the nation of Babylon, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you quickly, suddenly, of which you know nothing. And here's the sarcasm. But stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they're like stubble, and the fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. And the clock has run out. And it's time, it's time to clean up the mess. Even if, God says, even if you give your best one more shot, your best without me is like stubble in a wheat field. It's, it's like a wood stone with no wood to burn. And when we bring this text to, to our lives today, we must come face to face with the reality that if our best does not place God in his rightful place, then our best isn't even good enough to be bad. Time is up. The expiration date, it smells bad. And we have this reoccurring vision, right? This reoccurring message that if we think anything, anything 
our national health, our economical, economic health, our physical health, if we think any of those things will truly save us, we're in the wrong category. And if there's one thing that I wish we lived with more profoundly, it's how all of life needs to find its place within the bounds of God. We have an expiration date, folks. It's not a freshness date that that some grocery products attempt to suggest that we need to get rid of an old product. No, No, this is a hard date. We don't live forever. Do we prepare because of that reality? Over the weekend, I had an opportunity to uh, do some things, and um, I uh, got the Hazard Boys, uh, Luke and, and uh, my friend Luke and I got the Hazard Boys out in the middle of Round Lake, and uh, that happened uh, yesterday morning. And then in the afternoon, I made a quick stop to Carlson Hardware, and my friend Mark helped me get some, some supplies to do the uh, navigational uh, channel markers at Bishop's Creek on Round Lake. Um, if you think they're crooked, just send me a text. I'll straighten them for you. And then, okay, on the way back from that, we we're going to go and help out at, at our home and, and clean out the gardens and that sort of thing. And as I'm driving back, right, there's, there's all of this rubbish in the roadway. And I drove by it a little bit, and then I stopped because there was this thing inside of my head saying, there's a mess here, and it, and it needs to be cleaned up. And I wonder if that is not exactly what's happening in Isaiah chapter 47. In a cosmic sense, God's like, okay, we've got a mess and we need to clean this up. And I could have driven, drove by the mess and, and just ignored it, but, but it needed attention. And so I got out and picked up papers here and there and probably had a, a half of a garbage can full of junk. And I wonder if Isaiah chapter 47 can put us in that kind of mindset. To take an inventory of our lives. To look at the stuff that's working well, that that rightfully has God in his place as number one. That, That our identity is secure as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we're being led by the Spirit. And celebrate those things. And for the areas of our life that we haven't let God touch, maybe our arrogance, maybe what we do when no one's looking, that we allow God to take the opportunity to reach in and say, we need to clean up this mess. How about we do it together? Please pray with me. Father, it is a powerful thing to read your word, to be challenged by what you have recorded for us. And for those of us who are willing, Father, we ask your spirit to examine our lives. to remind us of how precious we are in your sight, how valued we are. And also remind us of the areas that are less than. There are areas where we have sought to place ourselves as number one.
and draw us with a sense of confidence and a sense of purpose and a sense of candor. To allow you to transform the areas in our life that need your grace, that need your salvation. Father, let us live with the reality of an expiration date. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.